to business in the front party in the back podcast i'm michelle and i'm lauren it's great to be here yeah it's great to be here i was actually waiting to see whether or not you were going to say your name i was watching you as well yeah oh okay so now it makes sense that if you Say it first and then say it. Yeah, we've got it figured out. It's only taken us how many weeks? (laughs) Four months or something like that? No, thereabouts. She's counting. She's counting. (laughs) So we're just two friends hanging out, having fun, talking about business and life. You know, I think we've got some episodes coming up in the near future that a bit less businessy, probably a little bit more fun. And then we've got more businessy, less fun. You know, it's a good mix, isn't it, Michelle? I don't know about less fun, Lauren. I don't know about less fun, but uh, maybe a okay. little more on the serious side of things. Less fun doesn't sound great. Okay. <laughs> Keep listening. Yeah, that's true. That, that wasn't a good marketing uh, <laughs> in there. <laughs> anyway, so today our show is brought to you by the Raw Raw Spirit Team and Raw Raw Consulting. And today I am actually going to be giving away a free gift. So if you want to keep your feed fresh, if you're on social media, um, no matter what social media platform you are on, you can download our exclusive free handout. It's got 33 content ideas to increase your social media following. And all you need to do is head to Rara, that's R-A-H-R-A-H consulting.com, or we'll put a link to it in the show notes. All you do is just sign up. Uh, register, like give me your email address, and then all you need to do is hit download and it will be in your email. And it's really, really good. And I think that there would be some ideas on there that you might not have thought about before. So I think that's valid. That's invaluable, Lauren, because uh, I know now that I'm getting sort of more followers, I'm building my following and you're always wanting to put that new content out. And sometimes I look at my feed and I think, oh my God, I haven't even posted since last week. Um, yeah, so we're always looking for new, uh, content. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Very, very yeah, just um, valuable and stuff, you know? Yeah. Love that. So Lauren, the theme for today is pretty close to my heart and it's all about publishing. So today we're going to be speaking about independent publishing to be specific, but we do go through the different kinds of publishing and explain yeah. what's what. Um, but in particular, that's the avenue that I'm pursuing. So, of course, um, this podcast is all about a couple of friends. We mix a bit of business, a bit of party. Um, And before we get started, we always like to talk about our week and what we've been up to. And let's get into that. So, Lauren, we'll start with with you. What have you been up to since we last Mm. spoke? Um, busy. I, I think I've talked, I think I talked to you about it earlier, um, like last week maybe, but I'm really focusing right now at building my email list because, yeah. and I know I'm talking to you about doing the same thing, probably to the point where I'm annoying, but I just realized yeah. it's so important to, you know, have a direct line of communication with um, my potential customers, with people that are liking the content that I'm doing so that they can know about it first. Right. Mm. And I'm not subject to, you know, Facebook's algorithm, Instagram's algorithm, blah, blah, blah. I can directly talk to my customers. So really putting a lot of emphasis on that this week. I also, um, through the Raw Raw podcast, which you know I host and you've been on before, mm-hmm. I actually had some really interesting interviews. So I interviewed a Pinterest expert and she told me all about, you know, I always sort of thought that Pinterest kind of fell into the social media category, but it doesn't. Pinterest is more 
a search engine. It's like Google. Mm. It's just a prettier Google. And so I learned a lot about that, about driving traffic through Pinterest, about using Pinterest to send people to our podcast, the website, things like that. So uh, yeah, I, I guess this week for me was a lot of learning and just a lot of trying to figure out how to make my business decisions better, like to more intelligent, do things with a better ROI, um, figure out what my long-term goals are, and really just make sure that the things that I'm doing are in line with that. And uh, also interviewed somebody uh, about yoga, and I was kind of asking her for some advice on how to get my own yoga practice at home back back in session, I guess you could say, because I've been doing still sticking to my running but I kind of noticed that my actual yoga practice has sort of fallen off. And she just reminded me, she said, well, you need to remind yourself why you want to do yoga. I mean, you just told me, you know, about all the benefits that you feel from doing yoga. So is that not enough kind of thing? And then I realized, yeah. So I just need to figure out why do I want to do it and then make it a priority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just nice when somebody else kicks your butt for a minute because you know, sometimes you're going, why am I not doing it? Well, because it's not a priority, clearly. But then when you remind yourself why you're doing it, that helps you to make it a priority. So, yeah. So that's me. Pretty, pretty non-interesting week, I guess you could say, but just a lot of momentum moving forward, I think. Yeah. I mean, the yoga, the yoga is a good one because um, I was doing it regularly when they were being offered online, but now some of those online classes have dropped off. So when I feel like it's easier to commit to it when it's there, you know, you know, the class is on at that particular time and that particular day, you can do it online and that's all great. Um, But my teacher's actually renovating um, the house. So she's sort of pulled all of that for now until she gets everything done. So I find it harder to commit to the time because I'm just watching things on replay now. So it's like you're not set in you're not they're not expecting you to be there I'm a bit like that so I found that you're like I could do this other thing instead exactly so or I'll do another reading or you know something like that so I'm it's a it's a bit of a commitment thing um and I'm sort of working through the same thing so I feel that I I really hear that um so in terms of yeah what I've been doing I mentioned that I'd launched my mentorship program I've now got 15 people it just keeps growing um, I've got some people signed oh, up now okay. for next semester, if you want to put it that way. Um, but my Thursday class just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, oh dear. Um, and Monday's still pretty small, but I'm going to be doing two a week, which I wasn't expecting. I was expecting to be able to roll it all into one, but um, some people can't do, you know, evenings and some people can only do mornings. So I'm doing two a week. Mm. So that's the way that's going. And I also launched that spiritual media relations uh, course that I'm doing. So that's rolling in all of my background as a journalist um, and experience with PR and, and sort of marketing that sort of thing into the spiritual realm. And I know a lot of people can mm. benefit from this because I will write press releases for you. I'll write bios for you. Um, I'll talk about your Facebook lives and why my post is at the top of the page every week that I post on um, during my lives and how other people can sort of uh, emulate that and replicate that and also Mm. expose, you know, face-to-face, all of that, how you get the most out of them. Um, And that's to do with your professional headshots, which we discussed in a previous episode. So since I launched those and I'm sort of thinking, you know, I'll just sort of keep it fairly on the down low uh, and then words kind of spread. And now I've got seven people that I'm emailing about my spiritual media relations program. And I'm like, whoa, this is a lot. This is a lot. Um, So I'm sort of with me, I'm sort of working 
to stay out of overwhelm because I'm having some very late nights because I'm still doing readings and healings and other things um, and yeah. trying to manage all of these, you know, people who want to learn from me and figuring out how best uh, to do that and how best to manage that. So um, it's great that the interest is there. Um, so some people I will have to sort of spread out. I'm going to have to pace myself so that it's not all happening, you know, in the same same time so that's been wonderful um and I also launched my new brand as well right of course (laughs) (laughs) so I'm now like talking to myself it's really (laughs) yeah now I know how people feel when they talk to me so I guess Michelle I just wanted to to just like throw this um idea at you just for you to think on so I know you were talking about raising your prices yes the other important thing you have a look at the things that you're doing that actually drive the most revenue because for you overwhelm I think is a real possibility yeah and also you know I know that you already kind of struggle or one of your challenges is to like cultivate time for yourself you know at the beach without when you're relaxing at the beach without Sissy and I sprinting Um, back to the car yes yeah exactly (laughs) so I think that you know letting people know that certain things are also full but you can open it up for next semester but get their email and then keep building that relationship with them yeah yeah that's yeah so yeah you don't need to do it all now I guess it's just what I want to say so and that's just for people at home who might be listening and feeling overwhelmed I think that you know sometimes we we do want to do it all now. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm like you in the sense that I get super pumped about everything and it's like, oh, well, I want to do that. All right. I'm doing it. And then I'm actually doing it. I yes. don't just talk about, yeah. You know, so I, I get you that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to burn out and yeah. you want to be doing the best which you are capable of, but yeah. for everyone. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my limit, Lauren, and I think that's why I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed is my limit for, because a lot of this is going to be over Zoom. Um, for the first day, I wanted to sort of keep it to 10 people because I didn't want to have multiple screens and things that I had to worry about um, in that realm because I'm used to doing things face-to-face. And I will also yeah. have some people potentially face-to-face because there's quite a few on the Sunshine Coast where I live that are doing it as well. So it's going to be a bit of a juggling act. Um, so I didn't want to have too many on Zoom, trying to juggle those people, juggling people in front of me. But a few people who were going to do Monday are now saying, oh, maybe Thursday's better for me. So that's sort of growing on the Thursday and the Monday's, you know, a bit smaller. So um, that's where I'm like, oh, I don't really know how to manage that because, you know, these people are already doing it. So I'm just going to, it's figuring it out. You know, it's just teething, teething problems. Um, you know, I'm very organised, um, but... Yeah, it's a lot, you know, a lot of things. And then I, you know, launched the new brand because I have that and, and the book's coming. So I want to have the brand there so that the book is, you know, ready to go and it all sort of matches up um, because I'm the light worker. So it's going to be Michelle uh, Price, the light worker now. I have to get used to saying that, um, update the show notes. And um, yeah, so that was really, really well received. I launched that sort of overnight. And that's where I got a lot more inquiries about the mentorship and and the spiritual media relations courses and things like that. So uh, needless to say, I was up till midnight and I'm a little croaky today, but um, yeah, um, it's all kind of a learning, yeah, a bit of a learning process for me. And also this week, as I messaged you, I was working on that case in Western Australia. So I'm looking for- Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Okay, hold that thought for a second because I'm really interested. I just want to go back to what we're talking about and then we can finish and then go into that because that's- and take us on a whole other tangent. Mm. But, um, you know, I think that 
you know, capping it is also important. So if you wanted 10, it might be best to do 10 and serve 10 people to the best of your ability. Yeah. I would strongly recommend not having people in front of you and trying to manage online. Do one or the other. Yeah. Because when you're online, you know, like when I'm teaching online, I have a monitor. So I often have my notes on my computer as well. And I'm in control. If you're trying to also deal with that person over there and that person in real life, I just think it's not, it's not going to work. So I would recommend you don't. Okay. Yeah. Don't do it. If it feels difficult, don't do it. And also, you know, the thing too, is that when you cap it, what you do is you create a sense of urgency for people need to book in next time. Yeah. So what I would recommend you do, let's pretend you go, okay, I'm going to have 10 on the Thursday night session, already have the dates for your next session and offer to take a deposit, non-refundable deposit to secure your Yep. Okay. okay. Yep. So, and that can be five, 10%, whatever, you know, it, like something that's not going to make people feel, you know, whoa, that's a lot to, to, you know, give you for something that's not happening for two months, but at the same time, enough of an amount that makes them feel as though they need to and still locked in join and, it. Yeah. 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 yeah that they've locked in. Keeping but that momentum. Also, yes, exactly. And then the other time, the other thing too is, um, you want to ensure that you can, I already said it, but I'm, it's worth repeating, build that relationship mm. during the gap. So, you know, for example, if I sign up with you, I give you my deposit and I don't hear from you for two months. I kind of wonder, is it ever, is it really happening? Yeah. So you put those people on a different mailing list. You email yeah. them every two weeks, tips and tricks. Here's a little you know, thing that you might want to learn. Here's something to think about, whatever. This is what I mean. Anything at all to just remind them that, you know, you know, that, you know, their thing is coming. You can even do a countdown, right? Hey, it's it's one month and one hour, one month and one day to our session. You know, I can't wait to meet with you, blah, blah, blah. So, and I think too, that, you know, if you do your session initially starting with, let's say 10 people, then what you do in that time is you learn what's working Yes, and you don't have to learn what's working with 25 people because once you know what you want to do differently, what yeah. took longer, what you know, resonated. And I will tell you too, it's very difficult to keep many people interested. Mm. So you know, especially with our phones beside us and things like that. Mm. So, you know, controlling an audience of 10 and asking them questions or however it is you're going to work it, yeah. it's going to be a lot more manageable when you're first learning your, um, your curriculum as well. Yeah. So those yeah. are just some things that came yeah, to no, mind great. that I wanted to make sure you thought about. That's great. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's talk about your other thing. Cause that's, fascinating yeah so I do deal with a few because I did um Lisa Williams forensic mediumship introduction to forensic mediumship and I have been dealing with a few people kind of before and and during and after that um where I've had uh murder victims and things like that sort of come in in spirit you know during a reading and stuff like that and I had a um a young forensic mediumship um, so forensic is where you're dealing with um children um people who are kidnapped abducted um, we deal with that, but also murder victims, um, anything suspicious, you know, thing where there's like a suspicious, um, you know, you always hear non-suspicious circumstances in, in certain stories where people have died. Um, anything kind of considered suspicious is, is what we deal with in forensic mediumship, but a lot of murders and kidnappings, abductions, that sort of thing. 
Um, so yeah, this particular young lady had come to see me during a reading. Um, she's in spirit and she um, was murdered. And so I've been working with um, another lady in Western Australia who's not related, but just really wants to um, find a resolution and find her remains. And she's kind of taken it on as her goal in life to do that. And um, yeah, so we worked together. I was remote because we can't get into Western Australia. I was going to fly there because I think that would have been good in person to be there, but um, we can't get in um, because of the, all good. Um, we can't get in because of the restrictions. Um, so yeah, I literally couldn't get over there and see her which was a shame because they were there digging and I was sort of in the gym at one point because it was during the whole day. So I was on the gym at the cross trainer and I had to connect and see what I was sensing and where I felt like she was. And that's, that's tricky when you're on the elliptical machine, Lauren, let me tell you. So <laughs> I thought you were supposed to like tune in and then turn it off, but can you just, you I'm know, with her. she was with me all day. So everywhere that I went, um, she was, uh, pretty much with me. So as soon as I said, oh, we're in the hole, we're standing in the hole. What do you feel? We're doing this. What do you feel? Um, and it was a very interesting process because when I went through, um, you know, cause we started at the beginning near like a caravan on the property and um, you know, my contact would say, okay, so where do you want me to go? And I'm like connected to the victim and I'm like, okay, so head this direction, no turn left, turn right, take a couple of steps, go back, do this, do that. And by the end of it, it was really interesting because there were some key points in there. And sorry, I know this is taking forever, but there's some key points where she said, she mentioned like spinifex, which is like spiky sort of grass. Um, and my contact was like, well, we don't, we don't really have that here. Um, so I was like, okay. And so that was a bit of a, a bummer. Um, and she also mentioned like a fire, so, you know, charcoal, black, ash, you know, this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and there was a few key sort of markers that we were looking for. And she also mentioned something man-made like wood, you know, burnt wood and stuff like that. So we finally got to this place and I, I, um, as she was sort of walking through, I started to go back in time and I started to hear her pleading for her life, what they were saying, all this sort of stuff. And I was like literally there. And I said to her, you're on the right track. I started to feel like I was going to be sick. My head was hurting. She actually got hit over the head. So I was walking along and I'm like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And we got to this point and I was just getting massive indications and that's where they started digging. And it was interesting because they dug and then they rang me back. And um, I said to Michelle, why does the hole look like a cross? And I hadn't seen the hole, but I was like, the hole looks like a cross. And I wasn't sure if that was the hole they dug or, you know, the people who murdered this girl or, you know, Michelle and her friend. Um, but she showed me the hole and that actually dug down and across. They'd done, they'd done across and I hadn't seen it yet. And she's like, that's amazing. So, you know, the victim is communicating with me and she's at the scene and she's showing me, you know, what it looks like. And she also mentioned angel wings. And at the top of the hole they dug, the rocks actually formed angel wings. Michelle panned up and showed me, it was like angel wings. So, um, yeah, it was amazing. And then, um, the victim indicated for them to dig more in line with the sun. So I was watching the sun come up because WA is behind us in time. She showed me where the sun was and um, Haley was telling me to dig more to the left. Um, and so I asked them to dig in line with the sun. So, um, and then they started to find bits of coal and bits of burnt wood um, because the theory was that they burnt, the um, perpetrators burnt the shovel they used to hit her. Um, and so we were finding chunks of wood burnt um, in that hole. So it was very interesting. And what she also found in that area, she couldn't believe it. She got through and there was room for a car to drive through because I said the cars come through there. 
um, spinifex bushes everywhere in this particular area where we walked through to. You had to go through the trees and come out the other side to see them. But Michelle was like, oh my God, oh my God, there's like spinifex everywhere. It's everywhere. So um, yeah, she had no idea it was there. So it was all the markers that I'd mentioned um, were, were there, the burnt wood, the spinifex. Um, and then, yeah, she was saying in line with the sun, the angel wings around the top of the, um, you know, hole. So yeah, I feel like we're really close. So my plan is to fly over there um, and be there in person and complete it. When are you going to do that? Um, well, when the restrictions lift, because um, I don't want to be in quarantine. I don't want to be there for two weeks. So at the moment, the restrictions <laughs> are still in place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when, when that changes, yeah. Um, yeah. And there's also a tool that the police use, which is um, seeing if there's something foreign under the ground. So potentially picking up, you know, human remains, um, objects, you know, that sort of thing that don't belong there. Um, and so it's a depth, it's some sort of ground penetration tool. Um, so there's, we may have access to something like that as well. So, um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see. So are they going to keep looking though? Or are they going to wait for you to go um, over? She's going to wait for me for the next yeah part of it. It was just the 21st anniversary of her uh, murder, the victim. So, um, they wanted to kind of have a look on the 21st anniversary and see if they could find something. But look, I'm really, when she was anywhere near that area, I was like, we're here, we're here, you know, I'm here, but it's just a matter of like fine tuning and it's hard from a distance to fine tune it that closely. That's what I'm finding. Cause this is the first time I've ever done this with someone. So I think it's easier wow. probably for me to be there. Yeah. Is that something you want? Oh to yeah. Do? That's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I'm passionate about it. That's yeah. But it's not, it's not yeah, a money maker. It's, it's not something so, that you get an income from because I'm doing this for free. So that's my belief from reading. And I talk about Debbie Malone later in the show, but I'm reading a lot of her books at the moment. She's a psychic detective. And, you know, I find that with that, and also Lisa Williams, um, who I learned from in the UK and, and America, she's based, um, they don't charge for this because this is like, you know, it's, it's victims, it's families, it's, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's just, we don't feel good about charging for that sort of thing. So um, if it's in this sort of scenario where we're out there looking and, you know, finding remains, we will charge for travel sometimes. And obviously if you've got to fly to locations and things like that, sometimes we'll factor that in um, to what we're doing. But at the site, yeah. I don't charge for my time or anything like that. So yeah, I still mm. need to do the other things that I'm doing um, as my main sort of source of income. Yeah, I'm reading, uh, I think I've talked about it before. It sounds like I'm reading this book forever. Mm. It is taking me a while, I will yeah. say. <laughs> but um, it's how to bring out the magic in your mind. Yeah. But he basically, Al Coran was like a t um, mind reader, okay? And and he knew a lot of stuff. He could predict lottery numbers, race winners, all these things. And he never used it to his advantage. And he basically said that if I ever use it to my gift. advantage, my gift will go yeah. away. It's universal law. And uh, I just thought that was so wonderful because he's making a living in other areas and just like spirits giving you, you know, a whole bunch of other opportunities to make your mm -hmm. living. This is what you're kind of doing to almost balance yeah. it yeah. in a way. Absolutely. Um, so that's been my week. Um, so yeah, pretty, um, <laughs> pretty uneventful, pretty uneventful. Um, so Lauren, we probably should get into our theme because that's why we're here. That's why yeah. we're here. We like to give people value, something yeah. that they can learn, a takeaway. And let me tell you, this chat, because we've recorded it with Jason, amazing. Like such good content. We've had some really great people on the show. We're really, really lucky. 
and this have. is a goodie. This is yeah, a really goodie. Uh, so the theme for yeah. the episode, and I've been writing for a lot, uh, much of my life. I've got a lot of manuscripts kind of sitting around, mostly on my computer. Um, haven't done a lot with them, but I did sort of take a, a risk uh, a little while ago, probably a couple of years ago now. And I spoke to a publishing house and that was Ocean Reef Publishing. They're based on the Gold Coast. They're very spiritual. So Ocean himself is a very spiritual guy. And I ran a couple of ideas by him and he was like, I love this particular idea. That's fabulous. Um, and my book is in alignment with my brand, which is good, my new brand. So that was his perspective on this was that, you know, if you're publishing, make sure that your book, whatever you're releasing is in line with what you're doing. And at that point I was still a journo, but I was moving into wanting to get into this full time. And here we are, I am. So it's pretty amazing how everything's worked out. I was a bit worried about the delays, but now I'm like, well, this is great. Um, it's all in alignment and I've got way more followers on social media now and all these other things going on. So I think everything's just worked out perfectly. So we had a chat today to Jason Smith and he is from Ocean Reef Publishing. We give him a great intro in a little sec. Um, but yeah, I'll let him, uh, him do the speaking and have a listen to this. Okay. So, um, today on the show, we've got Jason Smith. Hello. Um, Jason is the publishing manager for Ocean Reef Publishing and you've been there for three years, Jason. Jason's been working quite closely with me, uh, because I am writing a book, um, hopefully publishing this year, fingers crossed. <laughs> He's always on my back, but in a good way. Um, Jason, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I know you're very busy and I really appreciate your time. Um, so it is, um, it is a great pleasure to sort of see you. We communicate mostly via email, so it's good um, to see you. Obviously, this is a podcast, but we're doing this via Zoom so we can you know, see each other face to face, which is wonderful. Um, now, what I wanted to ask you, Jason, is maybe just to outline a bit of what you do at Ocean Reef Publishing for people who don't know, you know what that publishing manager title means. What's your sort of role there? What do you, what do, you do? Uh, the easy answer is probably um, a jack of all trades. So what I, what I do is oversee all the publishing operations at Ocean Reef Publishing. Um, so that means I'm kind of the, the go-to between the um, authors like yourself, walking them through the journey, uh, the publishing journey with the team. Um, but then overseeing the team, uh, all the editors and the designers um, and the print production team as well. Um, and of course, the other publishing coordinators that help uh, other authors um, through the process to bringing their creativity to life. So um, it's a very interesting role. It has me doing lots and lots of different things, uh, you know, all day, every day. And because we publish quite a lot of different books, um, it is, it's great. It's great to sort of see all the different stories that are out there in the world um, and watching authors sort of step into their creativity and, and see the empower, empowerment that that, um, that gives them. It's very nurturing role. That's what I found from my perspective is this is a very, um, you know, nurturing kind of hand holding, you know, walking them through the process kind of role. Um, so Jason, you, of course, um, for people who don't know, cause you, you haven't mentioned it yet, but you're actually a writer as well. So you're writing yourself. So this is, you're really living, I guess, what you're doing. So it's not like you're, you know, I mean, yes, you've done other work, but you're writing. So it's like you can relate, you know, to what we're going through. Um, and I guess we need to sort of define, you know, what Ocean Reef Publishing is because there's all different kinds of publishing houses. Um, so there's um, independent self-publishing, you know, professional publishers. Um, so what's Ocean Reef and, and what are, I guess, what are the minor differences between the three of those? So 
thanks for bringing up that I'm a writer. Um, it's good. It's good to sort of remember that um, as you know, as outside of outside of Ocean Reef Publishing. But just quickly, I think um, it's really important that all of our team members are um, they're very passionate uh, in this industry, and a lot of uh, in fact, nearly all of our um, team members in the publishing side of the business are, are writers themselves or authors um, and even in the marketing side as well you know the the two uh, marketing coordinators um, and manager that we have are both authors themselves so we are really passionate um, about books you know we do it outside we do it inside the in the business as well so it's really cool um, now as for publishing um, yeah thanks for asking that question I think the biggest the biggest message we like to, to give to any author out there is that they need to do their due diligence and they need to choose the publishing journey that is right for them because there are a lot of people in this world and there are a lot of creatives and there are a lot of authors in this world and the team and and I um, think that we're pretty good at our jobs and we love our jobs but we are so conscious that we aren't uh, the best publishing option for every author out there so yeah we really like to empower authors um, around the world to make sure they do their due diligence do their research into the different types of publishing so i mean we could we could probably run several podcasts uh, on all the different types of publishing that are out there in the world um, because there are lots and lots and lots and they, they tend to fall under um, umbrellas and then they're sort of broken down further but the easiest way to split them up is um, the sort of, there's three. The easiest way would be to say three. So self-publishing, as you said, independent publishing, um, and the traditional publishing. So a quick breakdown of these would be that the traditional publishing is like the, the romanticised uh, publishing model where, you know, um, an author writing in the cabin in the woods submits their manuscript to a publishing house who um, send them a contract and the publishing house then um, brings the book to life. Basically, they pay for all the publishing journey. They, they send it out um, into the world to make lots and lots of sales. And as per the contract, the author receives their royalty rate. Um, and obviously, the royalty rates are very different um, around the world. We've seen them around um, 5% of recommended retail price and we have seen them up to as high as about 10 or to 12 um, but that's very very rare so they're generally in the sort of mid uh, single digits then the, uh, the the total other end of the spectrum is the self-publishing model now unfortunately the self-publishing model does cop a bit of flack out there in the world uh, and it is because it is a largely unregulated industry. Um, so there are a lot of, there's, the, the barriers to entry are very low. You know, anybody can sort of publish their own work. Mm. Um, and especially with the rise of online um, self-publishing platforms like uh, Amazon, uh, KDP, CreateSpace and Ingram Spark. Um, you know, it's quite easy to sort of, to put anything, um, you know, we've got horror stories of people, um, writing a manuscript that says turn next page, turn next page for sort of 40 or 50 pages and then, and then publishing that as an actual, as an actual book. So self-publishing can get a pretty bad rap. However, there are some really, really reputable self-publishing companies out there. Um, so again, you know, we sort of say to the authors, make sure you do your due diligence, make sure you do your research. Um, the difference is a self-publish is, is a service provider. So an author will pay to have their book um, published. And because it is self-published, they actually have the um, 
the empowerment or the strength to choose the services that they, they want to run through. So, you know, they, they can choose the editor that they want to work with. They can choose a designer that they really connect with that gets their vision. Um, and then they can choose where they print their books and obviously how they're going to market them. So that's probably the most broad um, in spectrum of, of, of one of the types. You know, there's, there's lots of different breakdowns under self. And then firmly between the two is independent publishing, uh, assisted independent publishing, which is what we at Ocean Reef Publishing offer mostly. Um, we, off, we offer both, uh, all of three, self-publishing, assisted independent and uh, traditional, but our mainstay, our flagship model, if you will, is the assisted independent. This, um, we love the assisted independent model. It's kind of a blend, a hybrid between self-publishing and the traditional method. Um, and a lot of our processes are actually built on uh, traditional publishing methodologies. So we're still a service provider. Our author will still pay to have their, their work produced with us. Um, we like to think of it as an a la carte menu where the author can sort of pick and choose what services um, they wish to go through. The, the beauty is that um, we have all of those, uh, all of the editors, the designers, you know, the marketing team um, and the, the print production and all that sort of stuff. Um, we have them all in-house. We have them all um, as on, on staff um, under the ORP banner. And they're actually all um, trade qualified professionals in their field. So um, we often hear a lot of authors who get their work um, edited by a high school teacher, which is really great. Um, which is great. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bang that at all. Um, You're only for, saying for that because my eyes just turned to sauces. Yeah, I know. For those, for those <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did have a very good high school English teacher, though. She was fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Look, they, they can be really great. Um, however, an actual um, tertiary qualification in editing um, is is very specific and there are things that editors look for um, that are outside somebody just doing an edit. You know, they're, they're looking at um, not just the copy line edit in your work, you know, like the, the, the grammar and punctuation, but they're looking at um, tense and structure and characterization and messaging and overtones and all of that stuff as well. Um, same as the graphic artists, you know, we've got, um, we've got designers who have been in the industry for, for seven, eight years. Um, so yeah, I guess the assisted independent model is something that we, we love. It's, it's definitely, um, our favorite. However, um, as I said, yeah, it's, it's all about the authors. It's just really the author. We really, really cannot stress enough uh, how important it is for the author to do their own, own work. Um, go and check out some, um, providers out there and see which publishing journey is going to suit them the best. Mm -hmm. So what it, in summary, what it sounds like um, with Ocean Reeve, you sort of have, um, you can cater, you know, to different uh, authors who want different things, but you can do all of the, you know, the promotion for them, the marketing, you know, all that sort of stuff as well, which is, is a big thing. You know, writing the book is, is big, but um, what, what do you do when you publish it? You know, how do you tell people that it's out there? You know, that sort of thing. And I guess that's probably a major part of um, the process really, isn't it? Once you've got it done. So I don't know if I've, I've told you this um, before in our publishing journey together, but our, our CEO and my business partner, Ocean, um, who the business is actually named after, Ocean Reef Publishing, he often um, jokes about, you know, the publishing journey just being the first step because after that is marketing. So 
the marketing um, support and services that an author will need are so paramount um, because it is, it's so important to get the book out there. Having it is one thing, but actually sharing that message and, and sharing that work with the world is, is definitely the next step. Mm, yeah, no, it is a big part of it. Um, and as you said, it costs money, but you know, how else do you spread the word? How else do you get the, get the uh, word out there? Um, so how soon in the process, Jason, should we be looking for a publisher? So I know with me, I kind of just had an idea and took that to Jason. I hadn't even started writing and he gave me kind of a, you know, a deadline. But um, should, generally speaking, should we kind of have the manuscript, should we have it all kind of ready to go uh, before we even sort of start looking for that publisher? Good question. I think you know, generally um, it comes down to the type of um, publishing journey you want to go down. You know, obviously a traditional publisher um, won't, they have very strict guidelines a lot of the time as to what they'll receive. They won't receive part manuscripts and they'll only receive manuscripts in, in certain typefaces with certain line spacing, um, you know, in certain formats and in within word counts. So in that regard, definitely, obviously not, you know, make sure that the manuscript is ready and, and quite polished um, and maybe even and maybe even consider finding yourself an editor just to help you um, get that manuscript to be a really uh, awesome version of itself before it goes to a traditional publisher. Like that. Um, yeah, thanks. I have those every once in a while. <laughs> um, and then with the service providers like self-publishing and, and or assisted independent, um, it just really depends because we offer a manuscript appraisal service where we actually get into the manuscript and provide um, feedback for the authors as to where the manuscript's at. And, um, you know, we think you've done a really good job. We also think that um, you might want to review these suggestions to help improve the manuscript. Um, we've done manuscript appraisals on part manuscripts before, you know, authors who might be struggling with uh, confidence might want to just um, hand over something in that sort of infant stage, which is, which is totally acceptable and we're happy to work with that. But obviously, um, before going into the further stages of the publishing journey, or, you know, before we can go into editing, we really need the full manuscript, basically. Jason, um, in terms of, um, you know, you guys and, and sort of selecting books and things like that, because, you know, obviously, as you said before, you know, we can go through the self-publishing process and publish pretty much anything. Yeah, it's a little bit like artwork. Sometimes you get art exhibitions and it's like, is that really art? Is a shower curtain really art? I don't know. So I think with this, you know, um, what is the selection process like? Is there, uh, sometimes you get a book that you just kind of go, yeah, this isn't really like our style. Like this doesn't really fit in with our sort of under ocean reef publishing. Um, it's, it's a kind of thing that we just wouldn't, um, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't publish. This is a really interesting question, really interesting topic. And I know you and I have had some conversations about it in the past. Um, and, and especially sitting in this role, it's something that um, is constantly sort of in the back of my mind is that where does the line start or end between um, freedom of speech and, you know, censorship? Because as a publishing manager, if I published um, only the things I either A, believed in or, or B, liked, um, that we could be really dramatically reducing um, the work that we publish, which not only obviously impacts um, myself, but it impacts the community as well. And it also impacts the creative because, you know, here is us then saying, no, we're not going to publish your work because we disagree with it. 
So it's a really interesting topic, um, thinking about that line between censorship and freedom of speech. So it is something we take, um, we take very, very, we can't stress the importance of it amongst the team. We do have lots of long conversations about the manuscripts that we work on. For us, the biggest, the biggest hurdle for, um, to get over is the author's vision and what it is they want to do with their creativity. You know, so the easy answer is if someone's writing a hate speech um, and, and their cause, their, their outcome, the desired thing they're working towards is to be inflammatory and create hurt or pain, then that's something that we would sort of say, look, this isn't really something that this publishing house believes in. If somebody is writing um, a really moving piece that is about a difficult topic and their outcome is because they want to uh, engender a new point of view about that topic, then that is something that we can get on board with. Of course, we'll do it carefully and we'll have lots of conversations with the author about um, how that message should be constructed and how that message should be um, portrayed to the world. So it is, I think the easy answer for you, if you're looking for an answer, is that it is uh, a case-by-case -case basis, really. Um, but the, the moral code below it comes from what the author is wanting to achieve with the work um, and how they go about it. What about, because um, that's, that's really interesting when it comes down to, I guess, um, you know, someone's reputation and, and also, as you said, what the message is, you know, what the message is that they're conveying. What about social media following? Because I know I was in touch with an American um, company a while ago and um, they're a smaller sort of offshoot of another larger publishing house and um, they were very big on social media following. So it's like, how many followers do you have? You know, how interactive are you? You know, all that sort of stuff. Does that come into play with your selection process as well, social media? Yeah, so this is this comes down to um, what it is the author's wanting to achieve with their work, you know. So everybody has this idea of success in their, their mind and it's completely different. You know, I'm sure you have a you personally um, as a writer have an idea of success and what you want to achieve, and I do, I have mm -hmm. my own. Um, and then all the authors we work with, they all have their own idea of success, you know. Um, a family publishing a novel about um, a grandfather who lived an amazing life and they want to they want to document that for coming generations in the family their version of success is completely different to an aspiring fiction writer who wants to take out the world and wants you know everybody in in the world to know their character's first name so that's sort of point number one you know park that because in self-publishing an author might only be wanting to print 100 books um, in assisted independent it's the same they might only want to print 100 books However, if they do have, you know, we call them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, um, with getting their books out there and sharing their message with the world, then yes, absolutely. Social media following is something that we are, we are huge about and we, we press um, during mar uh, marketing mentorships. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, most traditional houses um, will actually conduct like a Facebook review or a social media review. They'll go and look and see how, much, how, how many followers you have, one, but um, how active those followers are and how active the author is with those followers as well. Mm. Um, in groups as well, looking at social media groups where the author is engaging and providing information. So, you know, they're always seen to be active out there in the community those are the type of people that um, 
tend to do the best that we see, obviously, from a marketing perspective. And so from a traditional point of view, that's, that's where the traditional boys would, would be looking. And a mailing list is probably a big part of that too. I mean, it's not social media, but a mailing list is, yeah, a good idea. Is that something that you would suggest? So, yeah. yeah, for sure. So with a mailing list specifically, um, somebody has actually taken the time to fill in their contact details. So it means that they have, they're, they're bought in and they're hot. You know, we call them as a hot lead. So, yes, absolutely. If you have, you know, 500, um, 500 contacts in your mail list, uh, that is potentially far more uh, gold than 500 contacts on um, social media because obviously with social media we've got to uh, fight against the algorithms that are always changing and, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, all this news about the, the current um, situation in the world, you know, economies, that sort of stuff that's always flooding uh social media whereas with an email list it is straight straight to the point yeah yeah no that's a good tip um so what are your thoughts um on ebooks and audiobooks because for me i'm traditional i like to have the paper um in front of me and, and be able to hold on to that but you know ebooks are, are, are big um and audiobooks you know audiobooks are great you know i guess for wherever you are depending on where if you're not around you know sitting in your house you know you can sort of take them with you um so what are your thoughts on on those and should we you know maybe consider the different you know publishing types the ways we can actually publish our book you like asking questions that i see like you know way too many answers to um, <laughs> we could so, be, be here all day yeah yeah <laughs> First of all, I'm with you. You know, I, I'm a traditional boy. I love to have a book in my hands. Um, you know, it's just the whole experience of, of reading that book and turning the pages and feeling it. It's, it's so different. Um, and, you know, we often joke here in the office um, about, you know, book sniffing. It's, it's a bit like, you know, cocaine because we all <laughs> love the smell of brand new books. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people out there in the world uh, that... I think the same, you know, reading a book is about that experience, that actual physical, tangible experience. The, when eBooks came out, um, when they first came out, there was a lot of conjecture out there in the world where people were sort of suggesting that that was it, it would be the end of the print industry. And it looked like that for probably about the first 12 to 18 months, maybe up to 24 months, maybe. Um, there was a huge spike in eBook sales. And then after that, they just, continued to decline until recently uh, with, you know, current restrictions in, uh, you know, the economic climate, people at home, they're not going out, they're not buying books. So what they're doing is that there has been a spike in ebook sales. Uh, audio books as the next topic um, are fantastic. I think they, they allow the author to reach an audience that they never would have been able to reach before. You know, think of um, truckers. Did you actually know that there is a, uh, there's a couple of um, uh, service stations, and I believe they're on the Sunshine Coast, that are an actual audiobook um, stop at the, at, the, at the service station. So truckers get off, they download the, the next e audiobook that they want to listen to, and then they get in the truck and off they drive for the next 20 hours interstate listening to audiobooks. I've never heard of that. Uh, how cool is that? That's fascinating. So, um, and then, you know, we think about uh, people going for a jog, people going for their morning walk, people driving to work, you know, especially um, 
corporates who have large commute times, you know, they might be in the car for an hour or, or an hour and a half or maybe even two hours. Um, they could be listening to podcasts like this one or they could be listening to audiobooks. So audiobooks are amazing in getting the author or giving the author rather the chance to touch uh, new audiences that they wouldn't have been able to reach before. Yeah. So wrapping up that answer, I would say that I'm still a traditional boy, but um, I can certainly see the merit um, in an author utilising each of those platforms to their strengths. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting the point you make about um, the ebooks being popular, you know, during what we've been going through because I know ordering any kind of product, everything's taking a long time because everyone is ordering online um, yeah. because, you know, you weren't able to go to the shop and buy a book for a while and, um, you know, and ordering it was going to take a long time. So you can understand, you know, why, why people are doing that. But I think we always return, hopefully return to the traditional, you know, way of doing things as well. Um, so we mentioned that you're a writer earlier um, as well. So what I kind of wanted to know was what do you think is the best way of kind of standing out in, um, in what is already a crowded market? You know, there's a lot um, available, you know, a lot for us to be able to sort of, you know, scan the shelves and sort of how do we stand out? Um, I guess, you know, is it sort of about the book cover? Is it about having that really amazing kind of unique standout story? Like what do you think it is that sort of makes someone maybe choose your book over someone else's? Again, I feel like I could spend days answering this, <laughs> this question. Um, so I'll try and be I'll try and be quick. I think point number one is that the author needs to stay true to themselves, their creativity, and their own vision. Um, I can't stress that enough. You know, if if an author comes through with a manuscript that is so, I mean, I'm giving myself chills answering this, but if they come through with a manuscript that is so intrinsically themselves, it just shines. So, you know, if, okay, they might not be an amazing, you know, thesaurus or they might not be a, uh, a Grammarly function um, on Word where everything is perfect, then they might need help editing wise, but the story itself could be, um, would be amazing because it is, it is just them. It's intrinsically them and you can tell, you know, as the team working on those sorts of manuscripts, you can just tell um, that over a manuscript where somebody has tried to copy another story and sort of just sort of tweak it. It just, there's a magic that happens when somebody is really in, um, trusting their own creativity and working with it that just isn't there when somebody's trying to sort of rehash something new. So that would be my, my first point mm -hmm. um, because then that will carry through the entire process. You know, um, when an editor challenges the author and says, why have you said this? Do you think we can say it a different way? The, the author could then engage and say, yeah, look, I totally understand what you're saying. I'm going to tweak it because this is what I'm doing. You know, there's a creativity coming out. This is what I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. Same as we go through um, book design into, you know, formatting, making the pages of a book look all pretty and the cover design as well. Um, of course, you know, it's so important to have a cover design. That's another topic. Um, but again, if that cover design doesn't, speak from the author's creativity um it just carries through like take this for example if the author is trying to copy something else and they're, they're putting like a patchwork quilt together then when they go out to market that book it's it's they're going to struggle because what they're trying to convey is like a patchwork of everybody else's things that have worked mm. and that's what they're trying to convey to the world mm. whereas 
if they'd st stuck true to their creativity through the whole process, it would be like this gem that they were holding that's, you know, ah, got all the light coming out of it and that that's what they're marketing. And, and so that in itself would carry through their marketing efforts as well. So I think, you know, of course we can talk about a don't judge a book by its cover, but everybody does. So you want a good cover design. Of course we can talk about, um, making sure the design of the book, the interior is, is, is neat and tidy. Of course, we can talk about how important it is to have strong editing because when people find um, typos in books um, and that sort of stuff, it's distracting. Um, but if you pair all of that, that back and go right to the start, it comes down to the author and their creativity and trusting it. Yeah, wow. And um, alignment, yeah, a lot about the alignment. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and that carries through to their publishing journey as well. You know, so if, if somebody's sticking so true to their creativity and, and how that um, directs them on their journey through publishing, they might be so set on going down one particular publishing journey and that's their, that's their choice. Mm. And if that works for them and that works for their publishing journey, then that's all that matters. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of... Um almost being uh, like an actor. Yeah. And some actors are kind of typecast, you know, sometimes you just see like a Jim Carrey, you know, and you could never imagine him in like a really serious kind of like drama or anything like that, or like a horror movie. I couldn't see him in a horror movie. There's certain, you know, people that, you know, they do the things that sort of suit their personality and comes naturally to them. And I think the same, you know, if you bring it back to, to books, um, you know, if someone is, um, you know, working in the spiritual realm and then they bring out a book that's about uh, finance and marketing and like, I don't know, trading shares or trading Bitcoin or something <laughs> like, what? You know, like it's not, I just feel like the alignment, yeah, is really important. I think that's sort of what, what you're talking about. But um, yeah, otherwise you know, your audience is like, uh, it's not the right audience for Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, it, again, that's such an interesting topic because um, you, you and I spoke about uh, Jim Carrey earlier. Um, he actually did a scary movie called The Number 23. And what? so if you, if you, yeah, if you're ever, ever interested, you've ever got a, a Friday night to burn, watch it because I haven't seen it for a long time, like a long time. So please take this with a grain of salt. But when I watched it like many moons ago, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, wow. I could be garbage and i'll watch it again and think jason what were you thinking but yeah check it out the, the number 23 um anyway so the, wow. the point that i was going to say is that um about alignment and creativity it's really important i think to um for an author to sort of not justify is the wrong word for an author to understand what that means to them like to take lady gaga for example she had always been sort of this poppy um, and then she made, went into sort of art pop, which is a little bit more weird, I guess, music. And then she came out with this country album. And so th there was so many fans that just were split down the middle. Some were like, oh, my God, what has she done? I cannot believe that she's done this country album. Have no, I, I don't like her anymore, not interested. Some were like, okay, no, we'll go with her. But then she picked up this whole new audience in the meantime but she did it for reasons for herself. She did it reasons for her creativity that she did that sort of big kick out of 
um, uh, art pop and pop music into into country and it worked for her she made it work because she was being true to herself and true to her creativity yeah. obviously she's just released a new album and she stepped back into into pop but yeah following her creativity led her there and it worked it so worked it was totally different it was totally out of the blue you know completely um completely different to what she'd done in the past but it meant something to her and because she could convey that through her creativity she through her music that it, what it meant to her that was what sold it yeah that's a great argument i love that really really good um so i guess you know if we want to start um we mentioned um you know earlier about you know i guess the writing process and and that sort of thing and the editing and a lot of that but um, in terms of writing, uh, it can take a long time. You know, I mentioned to you, I had a deadline. Ocean gave me a deadline of like three months and I did it. Uh, for me, deadlines work. But what would you say to someone who perhaps is trying to write the book, maybe doesn't have a deadline? Is there a minimum? You know, is there a minimum we should be aiming for to kind of get the book done? Okay. So obviously everyone works different. You know, so deadlines work for you. Deadlines work for me as well. I, I am, I'm a figure out where I want to end and work backwards from there, you know, and we offer writing um, mentorships and writing workshops through Ocean Reef Publishing. And what I will generally do with uh, the authors, uh, with the attendees is sort of say, okay, um, let's throw a peg in the sand. You're writing uh, fiction, romance fiction. So we probably want to aim around, you know, 70 to 90,000 words. Let's aim for 70. That's your peg in the sand. You want to be done in three months. So um, great for maths, Jason. Let's say seven months because that's really easy maths on, on, on radio. <laughs> um, so you don't have to write 10,000 words a month. So you break that down into weeks and then days. And so you're always like, okay, today I need to write a thousand words. If I can write a thousand words today, that's all I need to worry about. Um, and then the rest, everything else will take care of, care of itself. But that doesn't work for everybody. Um, and some people don't have the time to write a thousand words a day. So in that case, I would say um, my rule is 10 words a day. Um, because 10 words a day is so preposterously easy that if I can't write 10 words a day, then something is clearly wrong and I will berate myself because, you know, even a text message or an email to myself, I had a long day today and I'm tired. I'm going to bed. There's, there's 13 words. Um, so it's so easy to write 10 words. Um, and the reason I do that is because writing is a muscle. It's like going for a run. You know, the first time you try and run five kilometers, you might fall over at one and then go home because it was so difficult. But every time you go out there and you do a little bit more, it becomes easier and you, you push through three Ks, four Ks, five K, and then you start getting faster. So um, it's just about, I think it's consistency for those authors out there. Um, if you want to set dates, if you want to set, yourself limits um you know word counts you have to achieve because you know yourself you know that works um definitely do it but just consistency is, is the biggest thing find a system that works for you and, and stick to it yeah a minimum 10 words i love that um jason any final tips or tricks um any sort of last thoughts that you think our listener at home would uh like to know need to know if they are getting into maybe publishing a book or thinking about publishing a book yeah absolutely so tips and tricks um 
for authors looking to publish, I would say due diligence, um, due diligence, due diligence. That's a tongue twister, try and say that. Um, <laughs> just get out there and do your research. Um, then, and I would also say find uh, writers groups, you know, groups of authors and, and writers who are coming together and particularly associations um, like the Australian Society of Authors um, and the APA because they have um, lists of, um, you know, reputable publishing houses that they would recommend um, as well as, you know, there's quite a lot of watchdog lists and that sort of thing out there, which does sound really nasty, but um, again, it's just about the authors doing what's right for themselves and their creativity. So yeah, definitely cannot stress that enough. Make sure you do your research. The next thing I would say is uh, just to rehash, it's a muscle. Just keep at it. Always, always, always keep at it. Um, you know, if you're a writer, just keep writing, just keep writing, just keep swimming. Um, you know, if you're having a bad day and you're struggling to put stuff on the page, just write, I'm having a bad day and I'm struggling to put stuff on the page and then keep writing because it's easier like three days from, from that moment when you're having a really good day to look at it, have a laugh, delete it and, and keep writing than it is to come back the next day and hate yourself because you hadn't written anything the day before. So just keep at it um, and trust your creativity. That's the final piece I would, I would end on. You know, it, it'll take, it, it will take you places um, that you never would have experienced otherwise. And it's, it's, it's so worth it. You know, it's such an awesome journey um, for somebody both in that process, but also, you know, working in a publishing house, watching somebody step into their creativity and stay in it. It's just, it's magical to watch. So yeah, stick with it. Yeah. You sound like someone who loves your job because that's what you get to see every day. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much. That was, um, yeah, those tips and tricks at the end there and that uh, 10 words a day. I think we can all do that. You know, hopefully we're doing more than 10 words a day most of the time, but uh, minimum, you know, 10 words is better than nothing. And as you said, you can have a little joke with yourself the next day you come back and you delete that and then you keep going. So it's about sort of that muscle memory, isn't it? And just using that and getting that creative energy, you know, flowing as well. Absolutely. That's exactly what it's about. Well done. Love it. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate your time. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate, um, appreciate this. And yeah, I cannot, um, I cannot wait to see more creatives out there in the world expressing themselves. Yay. Thank you. No worries. Okay. So that was our chat with Jason. Lauren, what did you think? Cause you, you haven't met him before. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was so good and he was informed and um, he knew what he was talking about and he's clearly, you know, loves what he's doing. That was pretty obvious. Yeah, hey, it's so, I love super passionate. Yeah. And I love that he was, you know, talking about basically how, you know, he's supporting the writer. He's supporting even the mm. writer that might not be the, you know, the highest grossing writer. It's all about, the creativity and the process and taking to time, the time to do that and dedicating, you know, yourself to your creativity. And I love that you could tell that he just wanted to nurture that in people because, you know, so often we get, you know, kind of caught up in our days and we get, you know, we let shit get us down and we don't actually take the time to be creative and to let that out. And I love that he was supportive of that regardless of the outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's really good. And what I love about him is something that we spoke about a little while ago, you and I are very deep personality. So sometimes we forget to do the niceties, but whenever I email him and have any kind of correspondence, he always starts with welcome to your Wednesday and do, 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 do. And there's always this big, like happy, happy, you know, introduction. And then he gets into the, you know, nuts and bolts. And, um, and so I was thinking every time I see his emails, I was thinking about our previous conversation about that. Whereas you and I sometimes just straight into it. And then we're like, hang on, we need to go and add something here. Yeah. these people into it. But what, what I love, um, you know, there were so many good things in there that Jason spoke about. Um, one of the great quotes, um, and I think we might use this on our socials is he was talking about at the start about research and due diligence. We need to do a bit of that ourselves before we sort of race out there and think we're the best singer or the best writer or the best anything. Um, and the 10 words a day, I think 10 words a day at a minimum. Yes. We're going to have to write more than that to get our book done in our lifetime, but at a minimum, if you can't even write that 10 words at a minimum, um, then we have issues. Mm. Other days we might sit there and write 30,000 or 40,000. So yeah. I think the 10 words a day is great. Yeah. One of the things that I teach in the Rara Spirit team is a lot about, you know, the goal setting. So let's say you have a five-year plan to release a book or a one-year plan to release a book or whatever. Well, what can you do in the next year to take you there? 90 days to take you to your one year, 60 days to your 90 one month to your 60, one week to your 30, and then one day to the next week. And it's about, you know, taking those small steps to take you towards your goal. And I love how, you know, he talked about the 10 words a day and essentially, you know, making it a priority, taking the time to realize his goal one step at a time. And I can't remember if I heard this from a songwriter in particular, or if I just heard about it you know, years ago, but I remember someone saying to me that, you know, songwriters, they work, they go to work even when they don't feel like it. And, you know, that's what happens. You need to hone your craft. You need to do it every day. Yeah. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. I'm a bit of a deadline girl. So when I met Ocean, I didn't have my book. So I'm one of those rare people that sort of showed up. I'm like a journalist, you know, I've got qualifications, but I didn't have a book. And I told him what my idea was. And so I literally wrote my book in three months because he gave me a deadline. So I'm good with deadlines. Um, If he didn't give me one, I would have been writing for the rest of my life and never had anything. So I think for some people, it is important to have that deadline. So the 10 minimum words a day is, is good. But for me, it was like Ocean said, look, you need to do this in three months. This is your deadline. This is when we want this thing. So, and I did it. I did it in three months and I was working full time and, and doing a lot of other stuff, running circles and all that stuff as well. But um, yeah. yeah, I did it. So I think deadline for my personality seemed to work really well. Well, it's um, important to be self-aware about what you need, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. you know, you and I think he picked that in my personality. Yeah. 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 I think he looked at me and was like, yeah, she needs a deadline. Um, because Most he knew I had so many do. manuscripts kind of all just sitting around. Yeah. Yeah. And so but one of the one of the most time consuming things, Lauren, and, and um, we didn't go into this too much with um, Jason today, but um, is character development. You know, when I first went to them and I had my book and I was like, yeah, you know, it just flowed and it was really easy and I dreamt bits of it and wrote them down and la la la. And then, you know, Jason, who we speak to here from today was saying to me, Michelle, your characters are quite two dimensional. They need to be three dimensional. You need to give them those layers because it's like a human being. We all have, we're like onions. So it's like, he has a really great theory. And when you work with him, he's so good to work with as you hear in our chat, you heard in our chat, um he's so great to work with because he breaks it all down and it was very simple and he gave me this kind of like skeleton and it it has um you know sometimes you have the 
the letters and they correspond with a particular word. So, and it makes sense. It makes a word out of it. So he had the letters and this is how you build your character. And so I went through that whole process and yeah, they started to come alive. And so I was reading it going, Oh yeah, wow, that's great. Because it's got to make sense. If someone's reading your book and they go, Oh, well the characters, this sort of personality and they love blue. And then over here, you've got them loving red. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit and the audience will not receive that. So it's like you have to have them being able to make rational decisions. You have to understand what they like for breakfast and what their grandma's name was and like all this sort of stuff. It's that in depth. So that makes it a lot easier to write if you build your characters first. And that's actually what he recommends before you even start your story, which I didn't do, but building the characters before you even start the story and then putting them into it. So um, I thought that was a really good like that. Because then you also know how they're going to react in the situation as they unfurl. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize that before I started. So I already have my book and I was like, oh, oh dear. Um, But that's why it's taken it a bit of time, yeah, to get back and actually rework all of that. So, Well, your second book, you'll know now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, once I've done it. (laughs) once um yeah and I've got all of those sort of sitting in the wings probably should talk about book two and book one is just yeah yeah these are trials <laughs> these are true, hit and hope yeah. <sighs> hit and hope yeah but that's what it's about right it's about refining and I yeah. think what the cool thing too is that now I know that when I write my book I need to start with character development yeah tick tick and so, so thank you for learning that for me so does our listener at home that's what we're all exactly. about giving you uh lots of quality lots of quality advice so exactly. uh, I've got a couple of things I wanted to mention um, about like ways that we can sort of um, improve our life, which is our tools. We call it tools to improve your life, Lauren. And um, I did mention him in the show or our chat with Jason, but Terry Pratchett, actually, no, I mentioned him off air um, when I was talking to Jason earlier this morning, uh, Terry Pratchett, we were talking about the creation fantasy, creating sort of fantasy worlds and things that don't exist and how you sort of do that. And, uh, Terry Pratchett's one of my favorite fantasy authors. He's passed. He, uh, he has died, but uh, I read a lot of his books in school. I used to borrow them from the library and he had this kind of disc world on the back of an elephant or a turtle. If you haven't um, heard of him before. Yeah. I think it was on the back yeah. of a turtle and then he had elephants rotating. So the elephants were like the planets and it was just amazing. The world was flat and, you know, there was all these discussions about flat, flat earthers and all this stuff. Um, but it was such, he's such a good author, fantasy love. Um, and he was seriously my favorite author during all my schooling years. And I've still got his books here uh, on my shelf because I ended up buying some of them. I loved them so much. So I think with some of the stuff that, uh, Jason himself is writing, um, with his books, he's a little in that genre as well. And, um, Mm. that's why we're sort of talking about Terry Pratchett. So that's a really great escape, you know, because I think, we can be very serious and especially with you and I with building our businesses and we've got a lot going on and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's nice to read the businessy, you know, serious books, but I think also it's nice to have that fantasy to escape it all and take you somewhere else where it's not too serious. Yeah. 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 And that's one thing you and I do have in common, which I don't think we knew before we did our, Mm. our um, good vibration conversation I think that's when we found out but yeah we both love fantasy yeah yes yeah (laughs) I mean we're into angels and medium like everything sense that we're into fantasy but yeah Yeah. the fact that we have that so I'll pop a note to um in the show notes I'll pop a link to Terry Pratchett and people can sort of have a look through his books if they would like uh, the store at home but also uh, I mentioned Debbie Malone before that psychic detective she's based in Sydney and her books are amazing she's got a couple of really good books I've just 
been reading one that my uh, girlfriend borrowed from the library. She's got two that I'm aware of and um, some Oracle cards, which are fabulous. I've got them on my bookshelf um, as well. So I use them regularly with clients, but she writes about her cases that she's worked on and she has worked on the Ivan Malat backpacker cases and some really um, big ones. Um, Keisha Abraham, the girl that was murdered in Sydney um, by her stepdad and mum. Um, so a lot of pretty full on cases, but I find it really inspirational because I see how she works, how she approaches the police, how she works with the police. She's worked with the cadaver dog unit, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's good for me because I'm getting into that to know how to do it, how they, how they work on these cases and also how they get the information and everything's in timelines. Everything's really broken down. So you've got to be very disciplined. And I think that for me, that's a real kind of learning um, and it's also inspiring me to kind of write about my experiences and record those as well, because this WA case, you know, whatever else I'm sort of working on in future, I think it's good to have a record of all of that to potentially put it into a book. And a lot of people have said that, yeah, I should definitely, definitely do that. So, well, people love stories. Like I love the stories. I love watching mediums on YouTube and stuff like that and listening to the stories and seeing the people's reactions and stuff. For it's sure. just so amazing. And yeah, I just find it really engaging and interesting. So yeah, of course you should be doing all that. Oh. Yeah. Another I love thing that. Thanks. To do. Those are some great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I'm very good. I'm very bossy. Yeah. So I'm very good at telling people what to do. <laughs> um, what Terry Pratchett book should somebody start with? like me. <laughs> um, I can't recall his first one. I should have um, probably Googled that, but um, they're in a, they're in a series basically. So they start from beginning to oh, end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There are a few offshoots. It's a little bit, uh, well, no, Paul Coelho, they're all sort of individual, but um, Terry Pratchett, he's got the Discworld series. So I'd recommend probably starting with the Discworld series and then going through from there. There's a few sort of individual ones as well, as I said, but yeah, definitely the Discworld series is a good place to start because they're in mm. order. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I wanted to talk about two books. Um, when I say two books, I mean one book and one series. So, well, here we go. Um, you always bend the rules. You always bend. The I know. Rules. I know. Rules are meant to be broken, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah. So the Throne of Glass series is my favorite all-time series. It always used to be Outlander. And then when I read Throne of Glass, it was just the best. So I told you about it already, right? Today, yeah. Yes. yeah. So we basically, that one, yeah. Yeah. For our listener at home, it's about a um, assassin, female assassin, and she's just super badass, and it's like scary and moving and sexy and um, inspiring and you know like edge of your seat type stuff. I've read the whole series a few times because wow. you know I don't know about you, but I like watching rewatching movies especially movies that I love. Like I love Aaron Brockovich. I love, um, you know, anyway, I'm not going to talk about movies, but books are kind of the same thing. The only way for you to experience your favorite books again is for you to reread them. So, yeah. you know, I tend to do that. And then sometimes they're time consuming and you miss out on other books, but I love how you're talking about bringing in fiction, you know, earlier, because I do tend to read a lot of business books and I'm not always the fastest reader in the world too. So I find that sometimes if I'm reading, sometimes I'm reading more than one book at a time 
but it takes me a while. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that my one of my top favorite business books as well, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, is called You Were Born Rich by Bob Proctor. And I love this book so much. It was um, actually a free download off his website if you gave him your email. And I downloaded it and then I went to Officeworks and I printed it out. And it cost me like $26 or something like that. And it was the best because I like to hold the book and write in it and highlight and stuff like that. There was just so many beautiful pieces of wisdom. You can tell that Bob Proctor, that he's coming at it from a full heart and integrity and a recognition of the law of attraction and giving value and, you know, honoring your own path and, but then with tangible business tips and tricks of like what to do. So I love, it's almost the blending of the two worlds, which is what I really love. That's what I try to do with the spirit team as well, which I know, you know, but it's about, you know, understanding that we're in control and we're choosing our reaction and we're, you know, we're opening up to experiences should we choose to or not. And, Mm -hmm. but then at the same time, when you have your business kind of strategies in place as well, it makes all the decisions that you're making more harmonious and actually work properly. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes. So that was a really fabulous book and it's free on his website. So I, I'll put the link to that in the show notes, but uh, those are my two, you know, kind of books that I wanted to talk Great. So um, there's a bit of a party element um, and this is brought to you by my business, which I need to give you the different name now. Uh, it's so yeah. confusing. Michelle, Michelle R. Price, the light worker. And I should probably say my brand, or maybe we can um, pop a photo up or something in the show notes, but um, it's a beautiful feather. So the thing that I've gone with is a beautiful feather and it's yeah. all sort of light and gray and white and all those sorts of things. And my logo is the, if you haven't uh, heard the previous episode where we discussed this, is a Merkaba, which is all in gold and beautiful. It's like very, very good. Um, so Haley, who we have spoken to in a previous episode, yeah. um, the graphic designer, um, she handled all of that for me. So Michelle R. Price, the light worker, I do angel card readings, mediumship as we've discussed, um, chronic energy healing, Reiki healing, very popular. I've got a reading healing combo if anyone's interested, our listener at home. Um, and yeah, Michelle R. Price, the light worker on Facebook now. Different. We don't need a hyphen anymore, Lauren. The hyphen was confusing. The hyphen was oh, a lot. Jason's like, do you want a hyphen? I'm like, let's not do the hyphen. Yeah, that's great. Oh, I'll check it out today. I'm dying to see what um, what Haley made and, and how it looks and stuff like that. And I'm also really happy to hear that you have a combo. And um, it's all about, you know, being able to, you know, for our listener at home, that's why I always talk to Michelle about business stuff, because it's good practice for us to discuss this stuff. And it's important for you at home. If you have a business as well, that you're thinking about these things, because when Michelle's offering a particular type of service, it's very difficult for her to have add-ons. And so it's important that she does have add add add-ons. Like, do you want a recording? Here you go. Do you want, Mm. you know, whatever gift, I don't know, like whatever your add-ons are. And I think that you know, you don't want to offer too many things because then people won't buy anything. But at the yeah. same time, most it's people would pay balance. an additional $10 to get a recording of mm. their reading, for example. Absolutely. Which, you know, yeah. So it's a, yeah. it's kind of a no brainer to have things like that and to have combo packs, which makes yes. sense. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the party element today, thank you. Um, brought to you by Michelle R. Price, the light worker is all about, this is so boring, it sounds like, but it's about rereading an old favorite or an old book. 
And, you know, last week on the episode we talk about, or on the show, we talked about how to win friends and influence people. And I had mentioned that I had pulled that out of my shelf. So I am looking at rereading that one. And also I'm going to reread uh, Think and Grow Rich. And the reason for that, and I actually might reread Throne of Glass, but then I'm concerned that if I start doing that, I'm going to reread the whole series. And then now all of a sudden, you know, uh, we're talking months in advance. I'll still be reading that. So anyway, that being said, who knows what will happen? Who knows what will really happen? You get a lot out of a book the second, third time you read it. Because normally when we're reading a book, we're kind of waiting to get to the end of it. And that's when we miss sometimes those nuggets of wisdom or that really important information. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, as well, we, uh, we might be distracted while we're reading and we actually could totally skip things. Um, I will also tell you that one of the things that I would like to get better at is speed reading um, because I do want to be able to read things quicker so that I can read more. Uh, but I do, I will say that I have heard that your reading time or your reading speed goes up 25% if you use a visual cursor. So by that, what I mean is if you take your finger and you actually yeah. run it along. Yes, because, and Jim Quicks, I think it's Jim Quicks. I'll find, uh, put that in the show notes. He's a speed reader expert. And um, yeah, and wow. he, I did like a little course with him. Anyway, he was talking about how basically your brain and your eyes are trying to find the lines all the time. They're trying to find yeah. where you were, right? How often do you reread the same stuff because you lost your place? So that's why yep. having a visual cursor actually helps you to, you know, kind of do that quicker. It's tiring though, right? That's the thing. Mm. Sometimes you don't want to have your hand and you're like running it across the page. But that just means you're going to read slower and you could miss stuff. So if anyone at home is interested in speed reading, Jim Quicks is your man for sure. But check out the visual Interesting. I remember that just reminded me when my grandparents, I'd watch my grandparents read and they used to get a, I don't have one here, but a ruler. So my grandparents actually used to have a ruler and they would move the ruler down. Yeah, yes. I just remember that when you were saying that. And I was always like, I don't know why they're doing that. And I thought it was something to do with their eyesight or something, but I think it was so they didn't lose their place. And so I know, yeah, most of my yes. grandparents did that. They had a ruler and they'd move it, like one line, move it down, move it down. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if it's like an that age thing so too, though, with the ruler, you know, not losing your place, you know? I don't know. Yeah, what... yeah. I think yeah. there's also some programs online where you can actually I downloaded a bunch of them when I was when we were for the company, but then I, I haven't done it since. So it's actually a good reminder for me to check them out again. But you can actually put these um, extensions on your browser and then you can actually read the content faster. You can read it in bigger, bigger and bigger text. And I think it's like one line at a time. So then it actually will speed up your reading. And the other thing yep. that I learned too about speed reading is that you should actually, when you're reading, change up your speed. It's like read some parts really fast and then slow down, read up really fast. So it's kind of like training yourself. It's wow, fascinating, so but think about it. If you could read, you know, if I'm reading one book a month, let's say, I used to read one book a week, but that's not when I was building an empire. I had more time on my hands. Yeah, um, funny enough, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, I do make a point of trying to read more than one book a month, but like sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, just depends. Mm -hmm. That being said, what if you could in fact read one book a week? You know, if I could read a book a week now on my current schedule, then, you know, how many books 
I'm, I'm reading a year. And then, you know, you add that on 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, the fact is that when you're reading, you know more words, you know how to spell better, you mm -hmm. are given different concepts, different, you know, perspectives on the world, you're learning, you're using your imagination, your creativity. There's nothing negative to reading at all. No. So, no. and if you could so, do it faster and more efficiently, that's going to be a good investment. So. Yeah. yeah. What I'm actually glad we brought all this up, Michelle, because now I'm realizing I need to go back and, you know, continue on this speed reading journey. <laughs> yeah. And reread a few more of your books very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess, um, you know, I'd love to give people, our listener at home, a bit of our inspo each week. And I was just thinking about that and, and we did have a great chat with Jason, which our listeners already heard. Um, but if you are thinking about getting out there and, and getting published, because that's what we're talking about today, it is a really good idea to do your research and find the publisher for you. And I did speak to a few different ones and I mentioned one in America, which I just had a not a good vibe with. Um, and so mm -hmm. when I met Ocean and Ocean was word of mouth. So one of my friends actually published a children's book through him and I had a chat to him and just gelled straight away. And when I realized he was spiritual as well, and he was really in awe of, you know, what I was doing and the whole spirituality, thing, I thought, well, I don't know that I'm going to get that at a lot of other publishing houses. And my friend's book who published with him, that was very spiritual as well for kids. So I felt like that was in alignment. And I just feel like my inspiration or recommendation would be for anyone who is listening to this to really think about, okay, what is it that I'm writing? Uh, is it sort of more business? Is it this? Is it that? And then talk to a publisher, be it big or small, that sort of fits with where you're going and because everyone everyone yeah. is individual ocean has his own perspectives and other publishing houses are going to have their own perspectives so i feel like that person as a, as a human um i feel like sometimes it's good for their morals beliefs and things like that to be in alignment with you as well so that's how i sort of marketed myself and, and sort of chose that particular publishing house and as you heard jason's amazing so he's just been a really great mentor for me Yes. So, um, sorry, I will tell our listener at home that my sound change is because I realize my computer is about to die. So instead the show must go on. So I will, uh, yes, I will finish out this in the office instead of in my bedroom, which is now where I record our episodes. <laughs> no, not in the closet. Cause we, we found that that affected the Wi-Fi connection. And so, um, we, yeah, we fixed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, out of the closet. Uh, yeah, so coming up on the next episode, we're actually going to be talking about side hustles because you know it's sort of funny when Michelle and I worked for the company, we both had side hustles, and they did actually have turned into our full time jobs. And now I have a mm. side hustle at the restaurant. Our listener at home knows that. And uh, you have no side hustle. You're running your business full time. So what we decided to do is we actually are going to be speaking with somebody who um, runs a company called Flavorista, which is actually, I'm signed up with them as well, though I haven't been doing a lot of sales with them. I just have been a bit time poor, as I'm sure you know. And she basically is in the business of giving people at home side hustles. And they sell, you know, um, they sell spices, they sell balsamic vinegars, they sell sauces, dips. It's amazing. I love their products. It's so great. So we're going to be talking um, 
all about that, about how to get involved with a side hustle, about what to look for with side hustles, different suggestions for side hustles. And then again, talking to, you know, somebody who's a professional in, in giving people side hustles and, you know, I guess how she kind of keeps her business model fresh, the things that she's learned, challenges along the way, and really what it's all about, which is essentially empowering people to run their own business from their own home, which is what a lot of people want. Hey, they want freedom. Yes, especially since COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing, you know, Michelle and I were kind of talking and, you know, it's about making sure that your finances are set up. It's about making sure that you're, you're bringing in revenue and you're doing things that you love, but that you're setting yourself up for an opportunity. And I think that, you know, I think that having a side hustle is a great idea because it's also fun. And it's sociable mm, and, fun. you know, depending on what you're doing. So, and it brings in some money and gives you a new project. And especially people who might be raising children and not have a full-time career, they can still keep that business momentum rocking. Yeah. And it's interesting, Lauren, because when you, part of me say that you don't, I don't have a side hustle. Well, I kind of feel like I do. And, and what I mean by that is my primary income source is the readings healings, really. Like that's kind of my primary income source. But I'm also writing um, bios and, you know, I would say that is probably a side hustle, writing the biographies that I do, the magazine writing that I do. You know, there's a lot of stuff like that. I would consider that a side hustle. And then this is kind of my primary, you know, thing, the readings and healing. Yeah, so, that's actually yeah, sort of like got, That stuff yeah. doesn't sit under your new brand. So if no, it's it doesn't. under the umbrella yeah. brand, then yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. All right, Michelle, you're on the side hustle team. There you go. Fair enough. Tick. Tick, hooray, maybe, I get to come back maybe, next week. <laughs> maybe I don't have a side hustle because I'm actually working for someone else. So, you know, yeah. having a side hustle is that running your own show. It kind of is, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. maybe I'm not on the side hustle team, in fact. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is so confusing. Hopefully we sort it out for next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Great episode. Yep. Yay. So that has been the business in the front party in the back podcast. podcast. And if you loved it, tell your friends and give us some great reviews, please. So that more people hear about us, uh, because we do want to keep the show going, which means we want people like you at home to be listening to it. And if you didn't like it, don't tell anyone. Perfect. Right on to you. Well done. Catch you next week. See you next time. Great show.